Do they all have different personalities and everything? Yes, they and do. like just what? like people. Uh-huh. Some dogs are afraid of everything. Some dogs are not afraid of anything. Some you can speak to, and some you have to quit and make them mine. I've had dogs that, uh, other dogs biting them, and I just have them walking along beside of me and just talk to them like I'm telling you and talking to you. Tell them to be paved, and they wouldn't even reach back and bother the other dog and them biting at them. And some you can't control them in no way. I believe it's partly the way they're trained. These bulldogs that bites people and everybody's afraid of. If they're trained right, they won't bother nobody. Welcome to episode four of The Southerns. This is Angie Henderson Moncada. I started this podcast in part because of misconceptions. Southerners being wrong about so many things is one of the reasons it is easy, in some ways, for many of us who leave to feel more at home outside the South than in it. White Southerners we know who are wrong about people of color. Straight Southerners we know who are wrong about people who are gay. When you've been gone from the South nearly as long as you've lived in it, it's easy to find yourself, without even realizing it, up on a high horse. Yankees, I hear an imagined Southerner in my head say. They just don't understand. And once, decades ago, he'd have easily added our way of life. There's some truth in there. In this episode, I talked to Jennifer Gordon. Her ideas about the South were born in her encounters with Southerners, just about exactly on the Mason-Dixon line, in a girls' finishing school in the early 1970s. The victories and wounds of the Civil Rights era were still fresh. She was a leotard-wearing hippie. The Southern belles she met all had frosted hair. Now, every weekend, the dogs Jennifer rescues from rural Georgia kill shelters cross that same imagined line that still divides the consciousness of our country. They travel north to find homes everywhere from New Jersey to Maine. Jennifer is probably right about many of the reasons she attributes to the horrible fate these dogs barely escape. Politics, culture, bureaucracy, institutions. Still, it is hard not to hear in her frustration vestiges of the woman who sat aghast as black women dressed as house slaves served her dinner at Aunt Fanny's. And 1980s Atlanta cashed in on nostalgia for a gone-with-the-wind version of history. As much as I cringe when I hear, the South will rise again, it also makes me uncomfortable to think that smart people with good intentions might assume that everyone who's from where I'm from thinks that way. Or, and this part's a little confusing, that they believe that about Southerners, but because of where I live now and the way I no longer talk, they don't even think to ascribe those views to me. My email conversation with Jennifer a few months ago which I revisit with her here in this episode, was the source of the name, the Southerns, and in some ways, the catalyst for the whole idea behind this show. She was gracious enough to take time out from her very busy life, 
helping hundreds of dogs escape euthanasia in the Deep South. We spoke just a half hour after a new dog joined her in her home. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad you got a doggy. That's yes. We love her so much. Oh, good. Where did you get her from? Uh, we ended up we ended up getting her at the shelter in Mount Pleasant. Oh, how wonderful! Good for you. Yeah. I'm 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 happy when any shelter dog gets gets out of prison. So that's exactly. She seems very happy, too. And how is, is your little doggy that you got today settling in? Well, you know, rehoming is always difficult. You know, the poor thing's confused. And yeah. um, male dogs, of course, he's peed on every bush imaginable. <laughs> Plus, I just planted my herb pot, and he got he hit that whole thing. So everything has gone up another foot because <laughs> he's a tiny dog, my boy. Yeah. <laughs> and so my garden is back for so. a bit. So um I uh, know for she was she's given him up. So um and she's you know claims she's gonna take him to the shelter, you know, these people and Yeah. Well, I just said bring him here. Yeah. So uh anyway, he's uh he's he's been in New York City for so many years, so he's eight years old. So mm-hmm. I, I think he's gonna love being out here and he'll just oh, he'll get him great. Oh, yeah. so you're gonna keep so, him? I'm well I'll keep him unless I can find a perfect home for him, you know. Sure. You know, I think he loved. He's used to being an only dog, and I have, yeah. to, you know, six dogs. So, wow, it'd be better for him to have his own person. So we'll see. But he's easy mm. enough now. I'm used to another dog in my house. And he doesn't, doesn't mean anything. So because <laughs> he can just hang for a while. But I'd love yeah. to, you know, talk to you and you know, and so you can understand, you know, more of what we do and you know why yeah. the need is there. Yeah, and tell totally. me about your podcast. I'm sort of, that's a whole different thing, too. <laughs> of course. Um, I'm from Georgia, and mm-hmm. I've been out of, out of Georgia since I was, like, 22, and I moved all up and down the East Coast and kind of feel pretty settled here in New Jersey now. Um, and, but I run into people all the time who are also from the South and sort of, from the South and sort of this idea of why do we leave and do we still feel Southern? What do we miss? You know, what is it like to, you know, make a new home um, somewhere else? And I was thinking about, because obviously you um, you mentioned that a lot of the dogs that you get come from the South are the, the, the dog majority are, Yeah, the majority are Southern dogs. And, and now they are mostly from Georgia. That's so weird. Yeah, even like towns that I see posted that I recognize. I'm like, I've been to a place. Like, yeah. what? I'm just really curious, A, about like why so many, in the theme of the podcast, like why do so many dogs have to leave the South to find a home? But like, well, I, I, can, I, can, I can give you, I can give you a, the thumbnail sketch. Sure. Uh, it's, it's very simple. There are no spay and neuter or leash laws in the South. And this is the whole oh. South. So that's a combustible situation. Uh, Why? Because the 
the, poli- the politics of it, I don't understand. To me, yeah. it's a third third world country. I don't get the mentality. <laughs> but it starts at, it, it's a disaster at the very top. You know, you've got thousands of people like me. We're, we're making a dent in the rescue world. But yeah. they euthanize hundreds of thousands of animals a year. Wow. And the and the and the, the legislatures keep voting down mandatory spay and neuter. You know, it's it's a cultural issue which I don't understand. It's I have all these women I work with. I have this like we're like Vichy France in the Second World War. You know, we're all out there collecting, getting these dogs and getting them up here. They find them stray, Angie. I, you know, up in the Northeast, the dogs aren't stray. You know, but no, you don't see dogs running down the street. Yeah, people dump them. And that's what they do. Wow. And it's a horrific scenario, but nothing's being done at the top where it has to be because it's a cultural issue. If you talk to the average person, they think putting a dog on a chain 24-7 is normal. Another dog that was on a chain and the woman just wasn't feeding or giving it water because the dog was her husband and he left her. You know, like, okay, let's She's punishing the what, dog? <laughs> yeah, like, what is the chromosome that's missing in your makeup for empathy and compassion and, and humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. So the neighbor started feeding the dog, and then she just wrote me on Facebook, total stranger, says, can you help the dog? I said, yes, I can. We got him into a foster, and he came up and is living large up here. Like, in my own calculations, I figure that a thousand dogs come up every weekend from the deep south to New England because New England's where all the adopters are. So how do they even get like it's like this underground railroad for dogs? It's what I do. I do every weekend. I every week I you know, I find new homes and I make reservations and the dogs get on the bus in Georgia on Friday and then they're delivered Saturday. And it's really cool. And this is the routine. This is what happens. Okay, I get all these reservations. I have six dogs coming up this weekend. I've made reservations on my transport. He's in New Jersey. He heads down on Thursday, Friday morning. So yeah. on Thursday, he drives from New Jersey, and then on, on Friday morning, he starts all the way up, all his stops. Everybody has reservations. All the rescues are bringing their dogs that are coming north. So every then so so he picks everybody up on Friday morning and then on Saturday afternoon he they drop them off all the way they you know come all the way up the east coast and then yeah. they go up to Maine every single weekend and this is multiplied by about at least six companies that I know if not more so, and then there's like dozens or hundreds of people like you doing this. like me doing doing the rescue work and and it's it, it is the rescue people getting the dogs out of the shelters. It's so emotional when you see these dogs coming off the bus because you know they got out. But in the South, generally the rule of thumb is in the shelter, if an owner surrenders a dog, they last three days and they put them down. And if they're stray, you know, the minute they need the space, boom, they're gone. And that can be a week, you know. And so it's just these dogs are on, on a revolving wheel. And what I do, what my specialty is, I, I work with these rural Georgia shelters, and they have dogs for about eight months or so, a year sometimes. Then they put them on a euthanasia list, and then I take them off the euthanasia list. I brought up about four dogs this way, and every wow. single one of them was magic. 
Every dog went into a home, didn't even go through my foster system, which I generally do, but I, now I couldn't do it with this amount. Too and many, there were yeah. no problems. There were no problems. They're the most adorable dogs. They're all incredible, and they're putting these dogs down left, right, and stuff. How did you get and started I, doing this? Remind me again. Okay, this is kind of a bizarre story. I I was, you know, trolling the internet at work one day and I fell in love with face. Just like you do in Pet Finder. I mean in yep, uh, match.com yep. and you do it. I was doing <laughs> Pet Finder. And I tell everybody I went from match.com to Pet Finder ten years ago and I've never looked back, you know. This has this <laughs> been my thing for ten years. Do you want to go outside, please? So I fell in love with his face. I said to my boss, I gotta go to the shelter and get this dog. So I went and got the dog. And then I started looking at the paperwork and I was really intrigued because it said Albany, New York, and Cookville, Tennessee. And I thought, well, that's weird. What's this? So my natural curiosity, I started calling the telephone numbers on it, and everyone thought I was from the Department of Agriculture and I was going to bust them. And I said, no, 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 I, I don't. I just want to understand, like, what, where was my dog? Well, so that's when I learned about the southern migration from south to north of these dogs, and that was seven years ago. And the woman talked to me at length and said, you know, we really could use a point person in Connecticut. I said, I'm your person. And I started working intensely with Tennessee initially. And then through the Internet, I met this fabulous group all in Georgia. And I've been doing that for about four years now. And we're all really, we all, you know, like-minded. We we have to trust each other's judgment. And we're just about the dogs because a lot of this gets really girly and bitchy and it can get pretty tough. And, you know, I've been drawn into things like that and I don't want to deal with it. And we just, you know, no drama, and it's about the dogs. And we, I saved over probably thirteen hundred dogs now in the last seven years. Thirteen hundred? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And they're, and, they're, and not only, I mean, you save the dogs, but you've given these. I mean, I see my kids like, and mm-hmm. we've only had to start for like a week and a half, and they are so happy. Like my daughter has not stopped laughing oh. for the last ten days. Well, and I tell you, you know who are my people are these seniors. I'm one of the oh, that adopt seniors. Yeah. And these people, I've seen yeah. changes in their health and their outlook. They have a dog. These people are in their 80s. And yeah. I just think, you know, senior dogs and senior people. This mm. makes sense to me. But you, I've had rest, people tell me, these older people have told me that rescue said point blank to them, you're too old. We can't adopt. <sighs> I'm like, are you? It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, my, my in-laws live with me, and they're in their mid-70s, and they were, like, a little worried that they were going to be overwhelmed by it or something like that, um, and they have fallen in love with her, too, and they were like, can we please take her for a walk? Can we please, like, go take her to the park? And oh, she just got gives them like, people yeah. loving on her. Yeah. It gives them reason to get out of a house, get out of yeah. bed, get out of anything, you know, and I have an 89-year-old guy who calls me up time for Patch's bath, you know, and I take, pick her up and I bring it for her groomer. And, you know, it's just, he is, you know, just completely different man. I'll send you yeah. some recent ones I have, some really cute um, seniors. I have, I had a couple that are only 65 and people wouldn't adopt to them. And I have a great story there. Too. It's just, you know, people saying you're too old. I just, like, wow. Hey, first of all, it's rude. It's cool. You know, what are we talking about? Everything's uh. mad. Like yeah. a lot of these rescue people are such idiots, you know. It is. Yeah. So, so it's um, it it really is. So it is a crisis of 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 politics and hmm. a crisis of the cultural issues, but it it's it's really serious. 
Wow. Poor animals, you know, and, and and it's not pretty how they put them down, you know. It's, you know, when I when we put dogs down here, you tranquilize them first, and then they go out, and then you put them to sleep. There, they're put in gas chambers. They, you know, it's pretty brutal. They could even be shot throwing landfills. It is it is not pretty, whatever it is. I don't even want to know what it is because I'm yeah. I could never do the job that my, my all my partners do down there. They go into the shelters and pull the dogs that they know we can work with. And you know, they choose to live and die. And I'm, you know, I'm on behind the curtain here. I find the homes and I represent, you know, and I have to sell the concept of bringing yeah. a dog long distance without seeing sight and seeing. But uh, people go for it. And and I love when they're game. Like last weekend, there was a family with three children. And they, you know, showed up at the transport and they were so excited. And it's like Christmas Day. It is so thrilling. And, you know, there's so little real joy in life anymore. Like, this is getting a puppy, you know, and that's transport. It's really fun. And I'm, you know, I'm there every weekend and I videotape them. And I'm part of the process. And I want to stay. and, And people check in with me. And it's really wonderful. And then I share it because there's so many people involved in this entire process. I think to rescue one dog probably takes about eight or ten people. Now, I'm talking about, you know, the the, the evaluators in the shelters. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the medical people who do the stay and neuter, the transport people, the dog walkers in between, the fosters. You know, there's so many people involved. So when I get a happy email and pictures, I send it to everyone because we all need to get reinforcement of what we're doing. And, and when you, before you started doing this and found out this whole South story, did you have any particular experiences or thoughts about what the South was like? Uh, what the South was like? Well, yeah. I, had, I have friends that live down in Florida and in Georgia. What did I think? Uh, well, now listen to this one. In 1972, I went to college. I went to a girls' school in Washington, D.C. That mm-hmm. is as far north as all the Southern Bells would come. I mean, it was like a finishing <laughs> school. And yeah. I was a northern hippie. We weren't wearing bras. We were wearing leotards. And that's as far south as I was going to go. So we met at this school, and it was hilarious because mm. they were southern bells with frosted hair and diamonds and daddy's oil wells. And I was smoking pot, and I was the hippie from the north. And it was really funny. It was a real clash. That's amazing. And this girl from Texas kept talking about the south will rise again. And I'm like, what are you, baking? What do you mean? I had no <laughs> idea what the South of Lazio means. You know, I just didn't. So, it was you know, a foreign was, thing. Like, for me, I've heard that. Like, I'm just, I, I cringe when I hear that. I've heard it so many horrible times. Weird. It was so weird. And, you know, I, there we were. And we all became friends, and it was fun, but it was just, a, and then, you know, you, you, yeah, it was definitely a cultural clash. The, the Southerners were really well put together. They had frosted hair. They had the Papagallo shoes. They had all that crap. And we were, you know, with the, the jeans and bell bottoms and the tummy showing and the, the little tops. Yeah, there was definitely a, a whole fashion difference between us. And we were all in the school, and it was very funny. That's amazing. So, so that was your that first was, experience of the South. That was my first experience of the South. And then I really haven't done, you know, really, my friends enjoy. And I remember I went down to visit my girlfriend maybe 30 years ago uh, in, in Atlanta. And we mm-hmm. went out, and, and, and there was a place called Fanny's. It was like a big, big restaurant, and it was well known. And and the, 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 what they what their 
brand was. They had women as, as slaves serving you food. <laughs> it was really politically incorrect. It was before political political correctness came in. It, and and so and these and these women were throwing the food <laughs> the food at us. And my friend said to me, the slaves are getting uppity. <laughs> <gasps> So it was just bizarre, you know. I just felt like I was in Disneyland and some like reenactment or something or other. So you know, and besides that, I just don't know. I you know, I think you told me something I thought was really interesting, kind of related to what you're saying. That like in this, that you get a lot of black dogs because oh, they yeah, the like like black black cats. They're the first to be put down. Black dogs, shy dogs, you know, anything. But the, the Southerners do not like black dogs. And so that is, you know, they, they go. weird. Is that weird. like black cats or is that like black people? I think it's black people. I, it's sort of unsaid, but I think it's black people. Uh, that's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Wow. So there's a lot of like uh, this institutionalized crazy crap, you know. It, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. Nobody even knows what it. It just has a life of its own at this juncture. Yeah, yeah. But you're you know, you're the black away at it. And you know now I'm doing this full time. Yeah, I'm 62 and I just don't play well in the sandbox anymore. People <laughs> in the office. So I'm just thrown in the towel. So I'm doing this full time and I'm just making ends meet. You know, so mm-hmm. it's just making it, but it's okay. You know, I'm I'm doing what I love. I love working with dog people, the adopters. I love working with my rescue people. Yeah, and I'm I'm queen of the underdog. But that's it in a nutmeg. But I like that's in a very cool. quick show. Thank you so much. I'm so Thank glad you, you got your dog. Oh, we are too. We are too. Cool. All right. All right. It's because I'm from the country. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer, and I'm in awe of her dedication to saving dogs, like the one who just became part of my family. After I talked to her, my husband read through the paperwork we got from the shelter a few weeks ago when we adopted Flash. Turns out, she's from the Deep South too, Virginia. She was rescued from a cruelty case, and they actually found buckshot embedded in her throat. Rednecks, I immediately thought when he told me that. Misconceptions. See what I mean? He treats me like a dog.